the Cosmos Hub invested about like $500,000 approximately in Neutron. Um, and today, those tokens, it's about 4.3% of the total Neutron supply, and it's about 28% of the current circulating supply of Neutron. That amount that will be transferred or potentially transferred to the Cosmos Hub Treasury equates to about $18 million. Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. Before we hop into today's episode, I want to give a quick word from our sponsor, Hexens, the most hardcore security team in Web3, pioneering in ZK and novel cryptography. Hexens is trusted by tier one projects like Polygon, including their work on their new ZK EVM, Mantle, Risk Zero, Lido, One Inch, New Bank, and more. You'll hear a little bit more about them later in the show. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to uh, BlockWorks Research. Be sure to use 0x Research 10 on checkout when going to blockworksresearch.com to get 10% off on your annual subscription to BlockWorks Research. We just launched a really cool data product and we'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Today is September 25th, and as a reminder, we are changing up the format of this show and uh, splitting into an analyst segment as well as an interview segment. The interview with Nick Johnson from ENS will come out Thursday, and this episode should be airing on Wednesday. Uh, September 28th. Um, but as always, we're joined by two BlockWorks research analysts, Effort Capital and Zero X Pibbles to jam on the latest market happenings. Pibbles, why don't I kick it over to you for your hot seat or cool throne? Yeah, so I've got a cool throne and it also doubles as a hot seat for Solana, but base flipped Solana and TVL officially. It's sitting at 370 mil. So this is a pretty big step and um, they've they've really overtaken like every new roll-up that launched this year, like base is just kind of one. And, you know, that's partially because of bald and then gold and all these, uh, these stupid scammy tokens. But now we're seeing um, Aerodrome and Frentech kind of leading the charge for base together. They're making up like, I think a hundred mil of the TVL. Uh, we also have like 30 different DEXs. So one for every user and notably Uniswap is like one of the worst utilized DEXs on base. Another thing to flag is that they flipped 4.8 million in profit from the sequencer in Q3 alone. So uh, things are going up and to the right. Also, Coinbase's chief legal officer came out and said that a token is not completely out of the question and it could make sense in the future. So uh, lots of fun things going on over there. I didn't see that actually about the the token thing. Did, I'm guessing that's to play a role in decentralizing some piece of the stack. But did he specify at all? No, it was literally like two sentences. But um, we we all ruled that out to begin with. So now that puts some hope on the table. Tokenized coin, stake it to the sequencer. Coin shareholders now get a double dip in the base revenue. That's that's the dream. That'd honestly be really, really cool if like they actually pulled that off and there's no reason that they can't be the one like, okay, assuming the le- regulatory conditions allow for that, like Coinbase is already doing like a, a tokenized version of ETH, right? Like they, they give you CB ETH and custody of the ETH themselves and stake it and, op- and operate that. It'd be really cool if they did that with an equity. Uh, that'd be very, very fascinating. And they are well positioned to be the first person to do it. Granted, they're probably going to be one of the very few currently the only and likely continuing to be the very few uh, publicly traded centralized exchanges. Yeah. I think though that that quote was taken a little bit out of context. I think he went on a podcast and like, like Pibble said, dropped like one sentence about it and then it became this big news story. So I feel like we're definitely a little ways away from that actually becoming reality, despite us probably rooting for it hard. Um, and I also think it's kind of funny that Aerodrome is making up 90 to 100 million of TVL on base, but it's only seeing like 500 to 750K of daily volume on the actual decks. Like all the volume still over on, on Uniswap and I think PancakeSwap. So I don't really know who's LPing there. I guess everyone just farming Arrow and dumping it by looking at the token chart. But yeah, nonetheless, that was a pretty brutal play. Yeah, I also want to flag that there's... Uh... One interesting app, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's like a uh, social network for or content creators who own pets. I've seen uh, Jesse Mollick tweeting about it, but uh, it's uh, it's off to a hot start on base. So I need to go look that up later. Is this friend tech, but for pets, like posting yeah. pictures of your pet? Because that seems like a real product market fit. <laughs> I yeah. think parallels over there too, right? If I'm not mistaken. 
I'm actually not sure. I do want to say that they, they deployed something over there, but off the noggin, I do not know. I saw uh, Jihos, the uh, Axie, one of the, the prominent figures over there. He was talking about how he wants Parallel to launch on Ronin. So that's another interesting tidbit I picked up on today. I want to give a quick shout out to Hexens. As we explore today's blockchain landscape, let's take a moment to recognize them as a premier cybersecurity provider in Web3. Hexens is trusted by Tier 1 projects like Polygon, including a security review on their new Polygon ZKEVM, Mantle, Risk Zero, Lido, One Inch, Nubank, and more. Get a deep dive into your technology stack with the most comprehensive analysis and cybersecurity consulting. Hexens not only uses widely known methodologies and flows, but discovers and introduces new ones on a day-to-day basis. With over $55 billion secured, they cover everything from smart contracts to blockchain to Web2 pen tests. Yeah, there's been nearly $7 billion of total value hacked in crypto's nascent history, so it's safe to say your team has a lot on the line. Don't skimp out, take your security seriously, and reach out to Hexens. Don't forget to mention 0x Research for a free Web2 pen test with your partnership, and reach out to Hexens at hexens.io. Find them in the links in the show notes, or reach out to them at Permissionless. They'll be at booth 832. Uh, but without further ado, let's get back to today's episode. One more cool thing I have is Frax with V3, which just completed audit by Trail of Bits on September 20th. Um, this is laying the groundwork for Frax to really push their RWA strategy. Um, you can actually see their FinRes PBC, which is a registered legal entity. They actually have an address on chain and you can see them testing transfers with Circle. Uh, Sam K said that the first official attestation should be reported on October 1st, and they've already put some of the uh, the collateral backing cracks into some treasuries. So super neat stuff on the way. On top of that, we have staked fracks coming in too. So maybe October is a good month for FXS and it follows the trajectory of Maker, but uh, we'll just have to see about that. We're still waiting on FraxGov too. So, is uh, staked Frax basically the same thing as like SDI, where that you're opting in to earn some of that treasury yield? As far as I'm concerned, yes. But technically, there's a bunch of different stuff. But uh, the same goal, actually, or just like passing on yield and increasing demand for Frax. Nice. Yeah, I'm really excited to see this come to come to fruition, right? Because. MakerDAO has struggled internally with like, how do we make sure we're getting these off-chain, uh, the off-chain reporting actually completed and how do we get, create like a process around that? How do we manage this as a DAO? And that's a huge challenge to overcome. Uh, and so that where MakerDAO uses multiple service providers with different types of financial instruments, which means different types of reporting across many entities. Frax is saying, let's just shove that into one entity and let them manage all of that for us. And then all we have to do is have this one point of contact for all of our off-chain assets. Uh, and that should greatly simplify the management of reporting for a DAO. And that's a really, really cool way to do this when that's been a huge pain point for like the RWA leader in MakerDAO. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of see this play out because you know there really is no reason that they can't be in the same level of success as, as MakerDAO is, as bringing these on uh, RWAs on chain. And, you know, they don't have to go kind of make these deals with different lending protocols because they already have FraxLend and they're already very intertwined with Curve so they can quickly get liquidity for this new SFrax token if they desire to do so. Um, you know, Curve also has a lending protocol, so I'm sure they'll get a plug in there as well. And like now you see why like their whole thesis was the trinity and like let's build out every layer of the stack such that when we launch new products we're kind of like already primed to be in a very very good position and get users like get the product in the hands of the users and also make it a better product right like especially for stable coins and tokens liquidity is a very important piece of the puzzle and like this is something that they've worked really really hard to get really really good at and that's showing off so again really excited for this one to come live yeah, I also want to highlight that they're actually integrating with Stripe. So once the actual entity is like in full force, they're going to have a constant API and dashboard that will show real time what the bank accounts are looking like. So that's going to be pretty neat. Probably like the most transparent thing we've seen to the minute in DeFi. That's actually super cool. I didn't realize uh, Stripe was that and i guess on chain slash off chain reporting it's almost like they're acting as an oracle of sorts it's super interesting 
I wonder if they'll have KYC requirements or something, because that is something I noticed on Ondo. Uh, they've kind of grown to 200 million TVL, like with just T-bills tokenized really, really quickly. But you got to like KYC in order to actually interact with it. So curious if that's a, a route for Axel take or not. Yeah, we'll see how long the meta even lasts before Gary cracks down on everyone because we are just passing on treasury yields to random people online. Yeah, I mean, I always go back and forth on this. Like, on one hand, it's like, oh, well, that's a no-brainer, right? Like, of course, this is going to happen. Uh, but to your point, like, does there need to be regulation around this? I don't – I uh, I'd rather not peel that one back because the answer probably seems to be yes. But, like, how do you go about enforcing that becomes this, like, impossible-to-answer question. Uh, and now regulators are going to use the fact that that's an impossible-to-answer question as a reason why they you shouldn't be allowed to do it. When the reality is, like, that's a really shitty reason to prevent – you know, people from getting access to better financial instruments. So definitely a lot of work to do on that front. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Paxos is, is in partnership, right? With Frax in, in some form or fashion. Right. Like I think that having a centralized entity like Paxos, the size of them, um, I think you're definitely going to be able to like, Frax can be able to like leverage their legal um, teams as like a buffer from like US government overreach. Uh, whereas like Maker, going back to your point, Dan, they're kind of, they try to do more like distributed um, RW, RWA strategy where like they make it really has no one like legal team or one entity to, to rely on. So it's like good in a way, but at the same time, if you're going to leverage centralized assets, then why not have a centralized strategy? Um, so I'm, I'm honestly fully in favor of what Frax is doing. I'm pretty bullish on what they're doing. And I think their partnership with, with Paxos is probably going to be um, a potential kingmaker strategy, like uh, leading into the next cycle. Well, allegedly, Sam K was at lunch with Rune the other day. So maybe Maker's going to take their stuff and plug it in to FinRes, and we'll go from there. That'd be a pretty interesting – imagine like an M&A of Frax and Maker. That'd actually be pretty cool. We don't need two decentralized stablecoins. Like, let's just call it what it is. We need one. Um, and I think – they went on two different, like they started off at two different approaches. I think like Maker tried to do like more um, safety uh, strategy, whereas like Frack kind of went like a little more DGEN, a little more, pro like they tried to get protocols to leverage them, whereas I think DAI went like along the lines, of, like let's try to get retail participants to, to hold DAI. Um, but they're kind of now converging on the same vision at the end of the day, which I think is the, is the correct one. Uh, but I would love to see like bear markets, in my opinion, are for M&As. Like figure out, uh, get rid of the inefficiencies in the system. Um, I think there's a lot of synergies between those two protocols. Uh, I would love to see that happen. Doubt it ever does, though. Yeah, we'd have to come up with a new name, like Faye and Rari merging. The attempted merger there was uh, Ferrari. Uh, this fits so naturally, but I don't know if we can if we can mash these two together in a fancy way. Fraxdow. <laughs> Fraxer. Fracker. Oh, we're going to have to cut this. <laughs> all right, all right. David, who do you got in the hot seat? Cool throne this week. Yeah, uh, I have the Cosmos Hub um, and its community on the cool throne this week. So uh, a couple months ago, they launched uh, Replicate Security. They have a, a couple of consumer chains that are now leveraging the Cosmos Hub security. Um, but uh, I think back in, I want to say Q4 of 2022, uh, the Cosmos Hub actually, the community approved a proposal to actually... Uh, invest in protocols to leverage the Cosmos Hub security. So it's kind of like a business development initiative. Um, and they invested in Neutron, which is a Cosmosm smart contract platform. Um, I believe the P2P team, which is one of like the Genesis validators for, uh, for Cosmos and also one of the Genesis team, founding teams of Lido, um, the P2P team kind of incubated uh, Neutron. And the, there was a, originally an airdrop for uh, Adam Stakers uh, and for other part, uh, people in the Cosmos ecosystem to claim Neutron tokens, um, a good majority, I think because it's a bear market, not a lot of people are paying attention. Uh, a good majority of those tokens were actually uh, went unclaimed. Um, and just uh, late last week, uh, a proposal was put up by the Neutron founding team to transfer uh, all the unclaimed Neutron to the Cosmos sub treasury. So back in Q4 2022, the Cosmos Hub invested about like $500,000 approximately in Neutron. 
Um, and today, those tokens, it's about 4.3% of the total neutron supply, and it's about 28% of the current circulating supply of neutron. That amount that will be transferred or potentially transferred to the Cosmos Hub Treasury equates to about $18 million. That's about like a 36x return on that investment, which is kind of interesting because, um, you know, it's kind of like a VC style bet. It's like not only is the Cosmos Hub gaining revenue share from these protocols leveraging its security uh, provision, but now there's it's actually getting upside in the to in the protocols that are in this uh, atom economic zone or in this like larger ecosystem built around the hub. Um, now, like one of the interesting things that I think you're seeing being discussed in the, in the Cosmos Hub forums is like, what do you do with this neutron? Uh, there's also talks about potentially doing treasury swaps or stride. Like, what do you do with these tokens that are sitting in your treasury? Ideally, you want to put them to work. You want them to be productive assets. Um, you can actually start seeing a vision where the hub actually leverages like protocol liquidity. So it takes this neutron, it pairs it with some of the atom inside its treasury. It deploys it on the uh, in a liquidity pool or like a DEX on neutron or some other um, chain in the wider atom economics or even the wider interchain. Now it becomes like a productive uh, asset to drive additional revenue back to the hub. Um, I'm really bullish on this concept. The idea of protocol and liquidity obviously was like thought of by, by Olympus Dow. And then uh, I think like Faye at the time and Ferrari merger was pretty bullish on the idea of protocol and liquidity. Frax obviously is like a market leader in, in this concept. Um, I think there's a huge design space for protocol and liquidity. And I, and I think the when you combine on-chain governance with like shared security, uh, I think it has a lot of um, potential to actually like have these you know, bilateral chain agreements. So what I mean by that is if you look at like the L2 space today, there's a lot of other shared security models out there. There's Eigenlayer, there's Polkadot, there's the L2s leveraging uh, ETH security. Uh, what I like to say is like you see the L2s aligning with Ethereum, but Ethereum isn't aligned with the L2s because Ethereum is just like a credibly neutral base layer. But once you actually start having subjectivity, once you start having intention, it's like the hub is aligning with you and you're aligning with the hub. I actually think you can have like, really interesting, um, like it's beyond just shared security. It's like shared alignment for economic development, shared political alignment, shared social alignment. Uh, and I think this is kind of like an emerging idea that you're seeing in the Cosmos ecosystem that I think is like a really interesting market differentiator or product differentiator uh, from like the other shared security models out there. So uh, this is like the first iteration of this. I'm really excited to see, I'm assuming this is gonna pass uh, in the coming weeks once it goes on chain. But the hub just was able to diversify treasury, get a cool $18 million and potentially put that to work on behalf of its stakers. Yeah, no, I love that you flagged this. And it's uh, it's pretty cool to see, you know, in the Atom 2.0 white paper being, a, I think they called it the allocator DAO. as like kind of the goal of like getting involved in these types of deals. Um, and really it's beneficial to them because it's helped helping to power this broader atom economic zone. So really kind of cool to see early inklings of what that would look like. And of course, this one seems to be going quite well. So uh, kudos to that team. I just don't understand what they're going to do with it still. Even after you said that, like to me, I feel like what Cosmos needs the most is liquidity. But if you pair that against Adam, which is really the only asset realistically you could pair it against if it's POL for the hub, then I feel like Adam just going to become this constant source of of exit liquidity considering it's one of the few assets in the cosmos ecosystem that actually has you know the the depth on order books to to, to put on that kind of size so I, I don't know i don't see how that problem gets solved i think you would actually even take that a step further like ask the question why does neutron have a token if it's going to be a general purpose l1 blockchain there's only a couple ways that it can really derive value right so it's either gonna be like a cash flow generating asset like you want to stake this asset and earn not only just like inflationary yield right but but also real yield through transaction fees or or anything else adjacent to the block space like uh say maybe mev boost payments through in ethereum um this could be an in demand as a gas token right like there's an economy that exists on top of the neutron chain itself and the users that are like very much so want to uh, interact with this and so the token kind of has like commodity value because you need it to uh, to operate the chain. Uh, it could also be used as a medium of exchange within that. So like common uh, base pair for DEXs or the medium of exchange for NFTs, right? Um, or maybe it's like the last reason would be to be like as this respected store of value, right? Something, the digital gold thesis that, that Bitcoin is very much chasing after. And like, I honestly don't know which one of those buckets would make the most sense for Neutron to fall into. So like, that's kind of the question I would pose here is, is why does Neutron have a token? Yeah, this is actually a pretty like 
I wouldn't say hotly debated, but it was um, there was a lot of conversation around this last year, toward the end of last year, when the hub initially like invested in Neutron, and the prevailing discussion was like, or the prevailing result was, well, we believe in sovereignty in the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, in order for sovereignty, you need to have like your own sovereign governance structure. In order to have your own sovereign governance structure, you need a cyber resistance mechanism, and that is the token. So the way Neutron's tokenomics work is there's a, a set amount. There's only a billion, I believe, in circ- uh, not in circulation, but in total supply. And um, on Neutron, it's a, and not even just Neutron, other Cosmos chains as well, you can actually pay in multiple gas tokens. So like, you can pay in Atom, you can pay in USDC, you can pay in Neutron. And the way the tokenomics for, the, uh, for Neutron works is any gas fees or MEV payments paid in Neutron is burned. Uh, a portion of that gets sent over to the Cosmos Hub as part of like the revenue share agreement. But anything that's paid in Atom or USDC or any other gas token that Neutron accepts as a gas fee payment goes into the Neutron treasury. So the increase in economic activity actually leads to an automatic diversification of a treasury. And it also creates deflation of the asset at the same time and kind of has like this, I won't say moneyness, but store value or this like digital scarcity meme that I think has prevailed in, in throughout crypto over the past couple of years. Um, it's a really interesting concept because again, it creates like uh, deflation. There's a deflationary mechanism to it, a, diverse, uh, a diversification of treasury, which is directly correlated to the uh, on-chain economic activity. Um, and obviously, ultimately, like, there's governance uh, rights associated with it too. But um, yeah, I, I think it really came down to like sovereignty and governance rights. And the whole belief in Cosmos ecosystem, again, is like sovereignty. So just because you're an atom economic zone or just because you're a Cosmos subsecured chain today doesn't mean you have to be one tomorrow. Eventually, you might escape velocity spin off, become your own sovereign entity. And then the idea is like, well, what does the Cosmos Hub do? Like, obviously we want these chains to be successful. There's probably, it's an inevitability that if you're a successful chain, you're going to become, you're going to want to become a sovereign chain. So the other idea is like, security is a commoditized uh, service provision. Like Ethereum is a great example. Ethereum is a great settlement DA layer today. If Celestia comes online in this quarter, which it's supposed to, and it's actually 10x cheaper uh, as a DA layer. And settlement is not a large revenue driver for layer ones. Um, it's like $100 per day, I think. Most L2s pay to settle on Ethereum. Uh, that's not going to be a large revenue driver. And ultimately, this is a race to zero. Infrastructure is a commodi- uh, usually a commoditized uh, sector. Um, why won't L2s just decide to leverage Celestia for DA? Um, because they're not locked into Ethereum. They're locked into ETH the asset, which kind of aligns itself like from a settlement perspective. Uh, they want the ETH native asset, but uh, where I was going with this is like, as a shared security provider, the hub is, that's not where it's gonna make most of its money. You need a second order or, or tertiary lock-in mechanism. And that's where like providing liquidity for consumer chains to actually uh, jumpstart the economic engine is something really interesting where you're starting to see like these bilateral agreements take shape. And I'm really excited about this concept, but like to your point, Sam, Maybe the hub ends up being legs of liquidity. Uh, but I think it's pretty interesting if you're seeing like uh, strategic uh, allocation of capital, whereas like I think Ethereum, the L2s today, it's all mercenary. It's all private mercenary capital going from one yield farm to the other. But if the hub actually has a shared interest in seeing Neutron succeed, it can deploy capital that it that like the those chains know is sticky. Uh, but in the event that Neutron decides to spin out one day, uh, as long as the hub maintains ownership of the neutron that it was allocated. It could actually like eventually generate additional revenue from this new sovereign chain uh, just because it has a large ownership of its supply. Yeah, I know it, it's really interesting to think about that because this kind of parlays into uh, my hot seat cool throne this week. And just like the idea of like, when do you need an app chain and when does it make the most sense? And like, how are you going to go construct that app chain? And today that's very much so in the Cosmos ecosystem. But with the rise of the modular thesis, you know, I had to put the, I had to put Eclipse on, on, on the cool throne this week. I'm super excited about what they're doing. Uh, so they've announced that maybe rollups as a service isn't going to be their main focus. Um, you know, Neil has been pretty vocal on Twitter about like, you know, he's, I think he's tweeted something to the effect of ropes as a service is dead. And then I think a lot of that has to do, you know, this is just my interpretation, but, uh, so, like around the economics, like how are you going to be, how are you going to make money 
in that position as the provider? Uh, and who's the demand going to come from? Like who wants to build in a role as a service environment? Uh, and so basically what they've announced is, hey, we're going to actually, you know, we'll keep working on that on the back burner. But uh, our priority now is going to be building an ETH L2. And we're going to do it a bit differently than all the other L2s by using the SVM for execution. So borrowing from the Solana ecosystem and then leveraging Celestia for DAA. So like I like them dubbing this the uh, the Optimus Prime of blockchains because it's like basically picking the most optimized piece of every layer in the stack that exists today, right? Uh, Ethereum for settlement will bring the liquidity of Ethereum because the smart contract uh, bridge will live on Ethereum. So super easy for Ethereum users to interact with. Celestio is built specifically for DA. That should be able to give you the best DA solution uh, and save you a majority of your costs. Like right now, ETH is significantly more expensive uh, to use for DA. And then, of course, the SVM is all about speed. So we're going to see a really, really interesting in environment here. Again, because just this is like the most optimized blockchain you could really build today, and someone's actually doing it. Uh, so this is definitely bullish for Ethereum. It's another L2 that's going to be paying settlement fees back to the main chain. Of course, DA is largely where the uh, bulk of costs come from, but it's, again, participating in the Ethereum ecosystem. It's definitely bullish for the SVM. Uh, it's going to bring more builders that are using Rust that are like, comfortable with how Solana is built and and you know how that... Uh, execution environment should be interacted with. Um, and the question really becomes, but is this bullish for Solana? Uh, I would say yes over the long horizon because it's bringing more builders that are comfortable in this ecosystem and that's super, super important. And if this roll up like falls apart in any way, shape or form, which again, yeah, I called it the Optimus Prime, but if everything, anything goes wrong at all, it can quickly become more of like a Frankenstein where it's just like, how is this thing put together? And this this doesn't make any sense for these reasons. Now you can really only learn from testing and prod. If any of those things happen and the chain breaks, then those builders can probably fairly simply just port that app over to Solana and there's another place to go execute it. And of course, that's interacting much more directly with the Solana ecosystem. So net-net, I think it's like a really good experiment to be running. Again, this is you know, kind of the coolest blockchain we can build today. So I'm personally very, very excited for what they're doing. You did forget one more beneficiary of this, and that is Eclipse Swap, Eclipse Lend, Eclipse USD. They're all just going to be pastas with 10K in them, and the tokens are going to go nuts. <laughs> you, you must have pulled up the DeFi Llama page of any of the recent L2s. <laughs> wink, wink, the ZK crew. But they're working to fix that. I think uh, actually Sparkland just announced it's going to ZK Sync. So shout out to them. They're actually get a real app over there. I do like to see that they're going to be using Solana and really putting that to work. And then once you have Fire Dancer going live too, like uh, peak performance is on its way. Yeah, and they're not going to launch until Celestia is live, so we do still have a bit of time. That as I think that's still supposed to be before year end, so call three months. Yeah, I think it'll also be interesting to see. Like, uh, you know, everyone always has the argument, like, "Oh, you don't want to pay rent to Ethereum." Like, that's going to be kind of like the opposite of what we're seeing with DYDX going from Ethereum to Cosmos. Like, seeing the SVM on top of Ethereum, you know, using it for settlement. It'll be kind of cool to see just like how that pans out i guess we're getting uh getting that argument for every angle at this point yeah i was like really intrigued to know more about the uh the differences between plugging like an svm into an evm but like, that shouldn't be a problem apparently and which i'm i'm pretty satisfied to hear but again to your point sam it's like we got to see this thing in in real time before i can actually believe that I heard on the bell curve, uh, shout out bell curve. Uh, I read, I was listening to, I guess the latest episode uh, earlier today and I didn't know this, but they're using neon, like the EVM, uh, SVM, like, um, I guess whatever, whatever that is, the EVM, the SVM, SVM compiler, they're using that to compile SVM to EVM, uh, for Eclipse. That was pretty interesting. I, I don't know if you guys heard about that. That's crazy. I didn't think the Neon team was capable of doing anything. <laughs> All that money <laughs> three years later. Because I don't think they know what a blockchain is. So, All right. While we're shitting on folks, I'll take my hot seat. I got Mixin. Uh, they were hacked for $200 million. It's a Tokyo-based company. I'm pretty sure. I'll be honest. I haven't like actually used Mixin before. So uh, take everything I say here with a grain of salt. But their website says that they are transaction fee-free privacy preserving and can support up to 1 million TPS. And they apparently have a messaging app. Uh, I guess uh, I, 
apparently their policy was to move funds from hot wallet to hot wallet every single day. And they stored uh, validator keys within a cloud provider. I believe it's Google because they said they're currently reaching out to Google to like see exactly what um, what happened and what what was the origin of the incident. Um, not many people talk about mixing and it's kind of funny cause it's number eight, or at least it was on, on DeFi Llama, you know, chains by TVL, uh, with like over 350, 400 million, somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, that's like the, I think like sixth or seventh largest bridge hack in crypto's history. That's pretty large. It's only smaller than like Ronin, BNB, Wormhole, uh, Poly Network, and maybe like a couple others, but definitely one of the biggest of this, of this year and kind of sucks actually, because I don't know if I'm getting like the right information feed, but just from my experience, I'd be curious um, what you guys see on the timeline, but it seems like Japan has been relatively crypto friendly. And, you know, if this actually is an application that had significant user adoption in, in Japan, that's definitely like a blow. And I feel like everyone over here in the US is just now waking up and, you know, learning what the hell mixing is, to be honest. Yeah, it brings a total of uh, total value exploited to $7.2 billion. Shout out DeFi Llama for, for tracking all of this for us. But that is a scary large number. Uh, and to your point, Sam, like I really hate to hear if that, yeah, assuming that's true, like I, I can't personally verify that, of course, but I really hate to hear that. That's that would, you know, signal it's like a normal people or more relatively normal people, like less crypto native people that are getting impacted by this just by using like a messaging app. Um, so that's uh, not something you want to see. It definitely doesn't help any sort of regulatory conditions that are already facing such strong headwinds. We're, at the end of the day, like we're going to have to get this problem figured out. A $7.2 billion is a ridiculously large number. And it's like every day where you see another nine figure exploit, it feels like. Um, I, you know, a lot of this gets pinged back to North Korea. And that's like such a trigger word for any three letter agency as well. Like that just it's just bringing like severely unneeded attention uh, to the wrong corners. And so kind of an impossible problem to solve if you truly want an open and permissionless blockchain, but it's clearly, clearly being continually worse. I don't really know a good solution to fixing it. It's called world app um, uses world coin. It's uh, it's on the OP stack and they whitelist which contracts can be deployed. And that's why WorldCoin is up 75%. Your words open and permissionless. I'm all for a federal chain. I'll KYC to get on a chain if they can guarantee my money's not going to get stolen. I work in this industry full time. All of us work in this industry full time. And yeah, I've never heard of Mixon. Like I saw it on the DeFi line with like leaderboards and never really just like paid attention to it. But like I'm just looking at it right now, right? Mix in $350 million of TVL. DeFi chain, $170 million of TVL. Fusion, $157 million of TVL. Uh, whatever Clayton is, $100 million. Like there are nearly a billion dollars in TVL protocols that I have never heard of. And I work in this industry full time. Like, and it's a bear market. Like this is nearly a billion dollars TVL of like combined i don't want to call them ghost chains i don't really know anything about them but it's pretty nuts that the amount of capital that's out there that's like in obscure parts of uh of crypto in 10 hours every day and there's always something new that comes up and you're like oh i gotta check this out and then you do and there's continually this endless loop of evolution that is uh notoriously hard to keep up with but I, that's kind of bullish the industry there's that much going on that even spending 10 hours a day every day Still can't get you down that far down the list. That probably wraps it up for our hot seat cool drone. So let's move on to our next segment here. Going to be our governance update. Uh, might be a bear market like David just mentioned, but there's still a ton going on in governance. Um, most recently, Arbitrum had a snapshot vote to signal uh, the community's preferences for a, an incentive incentives program. So distributing the uh, some of the ARB in the Dow Treasury. Uh, they signaled support for 50 million. And so now the kind of we're in the step of, all right, if you're a protocol, give us an application uh, requesting some amount of ARB, explaining why and how you're going to use it. Uh, and then the DAO will go through and approve those. So of the applications that have came in, which I've seen about 20 or so, 
The largest requests are Radiant for up to 3.3 million, Wormhole for 2.5 million, uh, Ramsey's, Beefy, and Magpie all coming in at 2 million. And so some of these protocols, uh, the airdrop is, you know, pretty meaningful relative to their circulating supply uh, and fully diluted valuations. And so there could definitely be some interesting plays here uh, if you're looking to scalp some tokens. But to me, the question really is, all right, we're in the middle of a bear market. Does this really make sense to be allocating $50 million or 50 million ARB tokens to DeFi incentives like right now? feels like if you waited a couple of months, you might be getting a little better bang for your buck. And of course, the flip side there is, yeah, there's some couple billion tokens in the Dow Treasury. So it's like 50 million really doesn't make a dent. Uh, and if that does kind of keep the lights on and keep attention focused on your L2 during this kind of very, very dead period, maybe the trade-off is there. So I'm curious what you guys, uh, if you have a take on this. I think I'd say I'm all for it, honestly. I mean, OP's got so much momentum. You've got so many L2s launching. Like, I do think that the DAO has, like, a responsibility to make sure that they're remaining competitive. And if, you know, 50 million ARB can do that over the next three months, especially in a way that's not super, you know, harmful to the token and just promoting farm and dumping, then I think that's great. Um, I know that making these incentive programs is incredibly difficult and that's why they're doing like a review process and having uh, protocols submit applications. But I do feel like there is some things that could have been done differently uh, that would promote less, I guess, just farm and dumping um, in its current structure. And to be honest, I haven't put like a ton of thought into it, so I don't know exactly what it would look like. But um, yeah, I like I hear your sentiment, Dan. It's like, damn, like... <laughs> Is this, you know, $45 million actually going to make meaningful change or, or you know, is it just uh, exit liquidity for some people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm with you there. I mean, it's just going to be after this, this like real time experiment we're running. I think it's fine. It's like when you're a kid and you were at the checkout line with your parents at the grocery store and you asked for a candy bar, like 50 mil. Arb is not a ton to them, so they'll give us this little candy bar as a treat, and it'll it'll keep us happy for a few more months. It's better to like try to keep Arb alive than let it like wither out completely, and then try to resurrect it from nothing. I think this is a complete waste of money. Uh, I think would you say one of the pro girls' name is Magpie or something like? I'm not giving $50 million out. Just like, yeah, even if it is a small amount of money, even if it's like candy bar amount of dollars compared to the treasury, it's like, can we do something productive with this? We know it's going to be exit liquidity. We know it's going to be sold off. Like Arbitrum is down 48% since it launched uh, in what, March? Uh, Optimism is also down like 48, 50% too. So like relatively speaking, it's along the same lines. The base announcement has not helped Optimism's price relative to Arbitrum, but like, Arbitrum needs to find a institutional partner, an enterprise partner that it can claim is like on par with uh, with a Coinbase, which there's really not many, especially in this bear market right now. But like maybe earmark that for like specifically go to the Dow and say, we'll take this $50 million or however much money it is. And let's specifically use it for a large enterprise that wants to build on Orbit. Orbit has gotten zero traction. Uh, I think I saw the other day that like Arbitrum was saying how so many chains are using the Orbit. Like, and it's not not like a shot at Arbitrum team by any means. They're doing really good work. But like, let's be honest, most of the mind share has been like taken from by optimism uh, for right, wrong, or indifferent. But it's like, let's use this money for something productive. Let's not just throw it at these like faceless DeFi protocols, and, like the faceless users of them. Um, that's not how you're actually going to win this long term. Like, you need to actually find sustainable partners to have the Arbitrum stack um, actually flourish. So I'm, I'd rather just save it for a rainy day, use it strategically, but maybe specifically earmark it and tell the community like this is for a large enterprise uh, user. That's not just going to take our tokens and dump it. Like they're not, we're not going to do what GameStop did to IMX, right? They got the tokens and they immediately dumped it on the market. We're not going to do a polygon where like, oh, we announced Reddit, but nobody actually ends up using it. Uh, like all those announcements actually ended up ha have not helped Polygon at all, in my opinion. Like find something that's actually going to benefit the Arbitrum token holders in the long run, because it definitely damn sure is not just like giving out incentives to the random DeFi protocols. 
Bang, bang, shots fired from Effort Capital. Hit him in the DMs if he just offended you. Uh, but I do appreciate the long response there because I could quickly look up. The Dow Treasury has about 3.6 billion uh, ARB tokens. Uh, so 50 million is like what? Right around 1% of that. Kind of hear both points. I don't really have a strong opinion on this one. But uh, moving on in, the, in the more governance updates, Vesta Finance, a lending protocol, is, has got an RFV trade going for it. So it's the DAO voted for a full unwind and dissolution of the protocol, which would stop the uh, vesting of team tokens and accelerate investor allocations, leading to a full redemption of the treasury. So the treasury value per the FDV would be about 53-ish cents. And the token was trading at 14 cents at the beginning of the month, has already run up to 44 cents. Um, and so our RFV trade, trade fanatics are winning yet again. Uh, so I guess it's the right thing to do. You know, if the protocols get, you know, deemed to be dead, then uh, return the value to the token holders. That's kind of like definitely the appropriate thing to do. Of course, there's still a long list of steps that needed to be completed for this to actually happen. Uh, but we're seeing more and more of this. You know, the, the, the Nouns DAO recently voted to kind of have the rage quit option. You're here, seeing the redemption here, and it's becoming a little bit of a trend. Yeah, the the most complex part of this is one, it's front ran super heavily like all the people who got in at what 12 cents earlier this month to where it, it's not even worth one of us going in there and trying to complete the trade for this like 10 15 percent uh because you have no idea how long it's going to take the actual rest of the proposal to be seen through like we don't know how long it's going to take before there's actually something you can redeem for and like they've they've obviously got to remove like all the liquidity, all the protocol and liquidity in the pool. So like, what is that even going to be valued at by the time this all plays out? Yeah, and then on top of that, I'm going to doubt that this is all going to be automated. I'm sure we're relying on you know two or three individuals to do right by the DAO and just return it. And yeah, you couldn't, you you can't get me to do that for ten or fifteen percent. Zero zero chance. Yep, I'm with you guys there as well. And uh, one last governance update. Uh, we have the Maker Debt Ceiling. Actually, two more governance updates. The Maker Debt Ceiling. Uh, Maker just voted to increase the debt ceiling on its two largest RWA vaults. Or sorry, that's still a live vote. Uh, but jumping from 1.2 billion to 3 billion and dramatically increasing its revenue run rate. I think the rough increase was about 80 million. Uh, so it's a material change in, in the Dow's revenue. I think they're doing roughly 100 now. Uh, and so this will be annualized, of course. And so, you know, it's pretty exciting to see these developments playing through. Uh, MakerDAO is just on this nonstop war path right now. It's like while many projects are struggling and like Vesta Finance is shutting down, MakerDAO keeps chugging along and is really focused on their their RWA strategy and how to bring that yield on chain. So super exciting to see here as well. I'm so bullish, Maker. They. Like, yeah, historically, um, you can argue that the MKR token has really done nothing. The, the maker burn really did not actually like end up generating real value or real demand for the asset. But I think it's RWA strategy. Uh, they're going heavy into it, obviously. They're going to be able to generate over $100 million in profit, like not even revenue, like actual profit. It's an ultimately like unlimited scalable business, assuming the government, the Fed doesn't come and, and uh, take their assets away or seize them. But um the rwa play like allows them to increase their fundamental floor for like how what maker should be valued at as a cash generating protocol and then on top of that now you're actually with the end game you're going to see all these sub dows pop up they're trying to align with maker spark protocol is one of them um but you're now like owning maker owning die is actually going to be required in order to farm these sub dow protocols so not only does like maker get you upside in the rwa uh, narrative now you're actually getting upside in like volatile tokens that are potentially going to become like major DeFi players in the next cycle. Um, I think it's it's one of the best plays I think of the next cycle. Like I don't I wouldn't know how how it's not like yeah it's not like not the most <laughs> Ponzi-nomic type protocol out there, but I think in terms of uh, has long-term staying power in terms of like the brand. Um, Brune's been here for multiple cycles. He's you know the earliest DeFi protocol in in, in existence. Um, it's putting a lot, I think the end game is putting a lot of attention on, on maker itself. And uh, I definitely think it's like one of the best plays uh, for the foreseeable future, not financial advice. And I don't own any MKR today. 
Yeah, I just love the anti-cyclicality, if you will. You know, as soon as the market goes risk on, people are going to be borrowing against crypto assets, paying interest rates. And then as soon as everyone goes risk off, which is usually the other direction of rates, then, you know, you're sitting cozy in T-bills. So I, I agree. I, I love it. Now the last governance update. We uh, moving back to the Cosmos ecosystem. The Blockworks research team has actually put together two really interesting forum posts, and of course, that effort was championed by none other than Effort Capital. No pun intended, but I'm going to start doing that more often. Uh, so, Effort, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the monetary and po- uh, monetary and fiscal policy changes to Adam that have been proposed uh, over the past week and a half or so. Um we put together a proposal to the Cosmos Hub community as part of this grant work that we got from Adam Accelerator uh, to like reimagine the tokenomics of, of the Cosmos Hub and specifically the Adam asset. Uh, so there's like this prevailing narrative, or I guess you could say over the last cycle, like there's you you think of ETH as money, Bitcoin is money. Um, you can argue maybe to some degree that like Solana is money for its given ecosystem uh, because not only did people want to hold it, but be, you actually had to like use it. You had to use it as a medium of exchange. Uh, you had to actually use it for utility purposes to actually pay for computational resources on the network. Um, a lot of the people like outside looking in never thought that like Adam was money uh, because you it was not forced upon you, you as Cosmos ecosystem user. If I wanted to go on Osmosis and do a swap, I didn't need to pay an Adam. You can accept Adam as gas, but like I didn't need to. And I think the by not forcing that on you uh in addition to other reasons like on the outside looking in it was never considered as money but if you actually look at how adam has performed across um other chains in the cosmos ecosystem like there's a clear like it it clearly has outperformed um i call this like the numeraire like it is the asset that everything else in the cosmos ecosystem is compared to for one reason or the other i think a lot of money like the the concept of money very much like a social construct there is a reason to uh, there's certain like things that can uh, tangible things like medium of exchange actually using for gas that I think reinforces social construct of moneyness. Like ETH is mostly money because people want to hold it and people think it's money, not because like you can use it uh, on the network. At least it, that's my personal opinion. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because you're starting to see like with this new Adam Economic Zone, these uh, narratives starting to play out. A lot of other tokens, uh, chains like Neutron and Stride are actually going to start allowing Adam to be used as gas on the network. Uh, I think like 75% plus of all transactions on Neutron are actually being paid in Atom and not Neutron, like the native token for the chain, which is really interesting. But people have historically wanted to hold Atom. Uh, and in my opinion, that that makes it money. Now, to in order to reinforce this money thesis, one of the problems with Atom's um, monetary policy or its supply schedule is that it has a dynamic inflation model, if you don't know that. So like most proof-of-stake networks, um, like Solana, for example, there's a set supply schedule. It, I think, goes down like 15% year over year with inflation until it reaches like a base level of 1.5%. Uh, and there's certain there's something nice about that. You have certainty around what you're getting. You know in a year from now how much Solana there's going to be. You know, in five years from now how much sold there's going to be. But uh, the Cosmos Hub, Atom in particular, uh, has a dynamic inflation model that's based on the amount of Atom that's staked to the network as a function of its total supply. Uh, if more than 66% of the supply of Atom is staked to the Cosmos Hub, inflation goes down uh, until it hits a minimum of 7%. If less than 66% of the supply is staked, then uh, it goes it can hyperinflate essentially to about 20%. Um, it changes block by block, long story short. This uncertainty, in my opinion, like hurts the monetary premium of Atom uh, on top of the other like reasons why people don't consider money outside of the uh, Cosmos ecosystem, because again, it's not used as gas and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the reason why this monetary policy was created initially uh, was because it actually foresaw the, the belief of like DeFi. Um, if you're holding Ethereum, let's say, and Ethereum's paying you 5% yield, would you rather stake to the network for 5% yield or would you rather go borrow it? Uh, or lend it out on Aave for 6% yield or 7% yield. The idea was that the proof of stake network can actually like compete with DeFi yields to ultimately make the proof of stake network secure. Liquid staking blew the cans open on and like opened up a can of worms for proof of stake networks. Now you don't have to actually choose one or the other. You can actually stake to the network, get the staking issuance yield and what other uh, other yield that, that proof of stake network generating. And you can actually leverage that yield and also to also like deposit collateral in DeFi. Obviously, staked ETH, huge boon. Like Lido is absolutely killing it over this past cycle. But long story short, what we propose as the monetary policy change to Adam is like 
in this new liquid staking world, you don't need dynamic inflation. The proof of stake network no longer needs to compete for DeFi, uh, need, no longer needs to compete uh, with the DeFi yields. Um, now that you can double dip, you'd like to create like a more certainty around the supply. So we, we long story short, we propose to decrease the, uh, the inflation of Atom uh, on a very similar type of schedule that Solana proposes. Uh, what this ends up creating is like about a hundred million less atoms minted by the end of the decade. Um, there's some really good conversation going on in the community right now, whether like, is that good? Uh, why is it good? Also, what are the bad things? Um, a lot of validators make money off of the inflation. So it, we propose a pretty aggressive tapering of inflation over the next few years. And they're concerned that like, Hey, if the atom economic zone doesn't generate sustainable revenue, this could be actually bad for our business, which is a very valid concern. Uh, but there's a lot of conversation going on in the forums around that. And then the second thing, which I think I'm really excited about is this idea of a dynamic uh, liquid staking tax. So if you look at Lido right now, there's a whole bunch of conversation and debates going on in the Ethereum ecosystem about how Lido has like an overwhelming monopoly of liquid safety. Uh, and that if it passes critical consensus threshold of 33%, then uh, Lido can effectively control Ethereum, the network. Uh, Lido governments can shut down Ethereum if it really wanted to. Uh, and now like Lido is kind of like this governance wrapper uh, over Ethereum, which was inherently not supposed to have on-chain governance. Um, there's something called the liquid staking module that the Cosmos Hub implemented with its most recent upgrade that allows the hub actually to be cognizant of how much Atom is staked to the network. I'm sorry, of how much Atom is liquid staked. Um, something that I think the Ethereum Foundation is actually researching and potentially like going to bring over to the Ethereum network, which will be really uh, exciting. But what we propose is if the hub is cognizant and if, all, if liquid staking poses this like potential existential risk for all proof of stake networks, and if the hub is actually be able to be cognizant of how much is liquid staked of its own asset, then why not create like a market for it? If there's concerns around too much liquid staking, uh, even though it's an inevitability, let the hub actually benefit, benefit from the growth of liquid staking. Uh, in theory, since the hub doesn't have smart contract capability, the growth of liquid staking should lead to the increase in economic activity of the, of the Atom Economic Zone built around the hub. Um, Ethereum, increased economic activity leads to more burn. But what if we were able to actually tax the growth of liquid staking so that the market file, finds like its own equilibrium for how much should be liquid staked and how much shouldn't be? And like the more liquid staking there is, the higher the taxes. And then what we could do is actually burn this tax and uh, not necessarily create a deflationary atom, but uh, lower the inflation further. So it has like more sound moneyness that I think this crypto, the crypto space likes to uh, look at in terms of like what assets should we invest in. You could also use this tax revenue to, to like leverage protocol liquidity, which we talked about earlier today. Uh, and generate like more more revenue for hub stakers. Uh, but long story short, again, there's like a lot of exciting stuff going on in the Cosmos ecosystem, particularly with the hub. Uh, Blockbuster research is like a, a major part of this conversation about like how to change the tokenomics for the hub and, and add them so it's like a more sought after asset so that it um, can actually generate more economic activity in the wider Adam economic zone. Um, I'm going to be giving a talk about this at Cosmoverse, which I'm really excited about on day one, uh, Monday next week. Um, and yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of what we're building. And one of the things that I think is one question I want to pose to you guys is like, you're seeing conversations about Lido offer dual governance to stake ETH holders. So stake ETH holders can actually like to more closely align Lido with Ethereum protocol. Stake ETH holders can have governance rights over Lido. The big difference is like in the Cosmos ecosystem, it's a proof of stake network that has on-chain governance. Should liquid stakers have the same governance rights that native stakers should um, because that creates some potentially interesting like security concerns uh, if you don't need to like actually bond your assets to the network and you can just buy it off market. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good summary of, of kind of the ideas that uh, you know, we, we worked on and, and how we think it will benefit not only Adam, the asset, but Adam, the network more importantly, and uh, really just kind of improving that money like narrative. I think the, the most interesting thing is the LST tax I wouldn't be surprised if this is another moment where uh, the Cosmos front ran Ethereum to something. So it'd be very interesting to see if that plays out over the long term. Um, yeah. But more specifically to your question, uh, it's super interesting because, you know, Lido and staked ETH, like they're going to give the staked ETH voters veto rights over Lido's protocol, which is the big difference here is like, yes, staked ETH, uh, staked ETH users are basically the customers of Lido and, 
yeah, your customers maybe should have a voice in the future direction of the protocol. That was kind of the whole point of a governance token in the first place. Um, so that, that seems like a pretty natural fit there. But when you asked this question earlier uh, in our group chat, I was like, I was confused. I was like, it seemed like a no brainer to me, but then you're like, well, yeah, but there is a huge risk in somebody being like, let's just say, you know, person A pushes forward a malicious proposal and then uses wallet B, it's still person A controlling a different wallet to just go smash bids, liquid staked Adam, vote on the proposal and then immediately dump it. And like, yeah, you're going to take a haircut there, but that isn't bonding your assets for a 21 day period to be able to vote on this thing and then withdraw them and then sell them. Like there's a very, very different purpose and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the 21 day unbonding period is like specifically uh, put in place to like mitigate the governance attacks. Is that, is that piece correct? The, the original reason for, I think that's like a second order okay. effect. The first reason was to uh, prevent like long range attacks uh, that proof of stake networks like inherently have. But I think like Babylon chain is supposed to like help fix that if you use Bitcoin for work networks. Uh, but I think there's also like a, a governance aspect to it too. Like if you were staking for 21 days, um, typically governance in Cosmos takes like 14, 21 days to vote on things. So like it does kind of closely align with like this 21 day unbonding period. Okay. Okay. So more of a second order effect, but that still makes a ton of sense. And um, now that you mentioned that I've, I've yelled at you about this before, but we have got to cut down the 14 day voting period. That's ridiculous. I agree. This conversation about extending it. They think the hub's moving too quick. And I was like, guys, the hub hasn't done shit in two years. And like, we've seen Solana and Avalanche pop up, like the hub needs to move quicker. And they're like, no, like we don't want to fast, move fast and break things. I was like, no, that's exactly what we want to do. We're on the cutting edge of like everything right here in crypto. Like we can't move slow. Yeah, I know a couple of us talked about too, like maybe the idea of having, you know, the LST holders have to hold that token for, x amount of time like maybe a week but then you run into problems like okay like what if i'm like lping like i'm there's just so much shit that happens in DeFi, and you know the whole point of having an lst is to have that liquidity and be able to make it work so i'm sure that integration would be pretty tough and then i know westy said well what about you know maybe locking up uh post vote for like three or four days um the token holdings like which that might work but again kind of the same thing so i don't really know the the right answer here but I do think you absolutely need some kind of fallback, you know, fail safe mechanism in the case that there is a governance attack, because that's clearly a real risk here. I think you just like um, make their governance power or their voting power of the liquid staked holders, make it a fraction of what an actual asset holder would have. They just run some actual math on it, but like maybe they get like 10% of the voting power that having one actual token would be my problem with that is aren't you giving all the the voting power to the validators like don't you actually want the users the funds etc to have that voting power you can have a little yeah bit. it's double it's a double-edged sword i actually think that's what if like all staked what if all liquid staked adam for example had like could not have more than 33 percent vote power like for the hub. So like no matter how much you, you voted, like you no matter how much liquid staked Adam there was out there, it could never cross like a threshold specifically of governance uh, authority. Um, that, that would be pretty interesting. But I also think Sam, like you're right. Like you also want to give people like part of the reason why we have these proof of stake assets, at least for like on-chain governance and is th there's a governance factor to it. Like you actually have say in the protocol, but do you lose some of that say now that you are also trying to make money with your, your governance token? Um, I don't know. Proof of, like liquid staking overall just opened up a huge can of worms for for proof of stake networks, and um, it's really interesting to see what the space is going to look like in a couple of years. Because there's a lot of thought leaders, I think, like Hasu and and what have you, that I think would say anything that limits the growth of liquid staking is naive and it's inevitable. So just embrace it with open arms and just get ready for the ride. And we figure out over time, it's going to boil down to social consensus anyways. So just why are you trying to create mechanisms around it? Just embrace it and just uh, let it grow, uh, which I think is a really fair take too. So um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. One more idea there. I know we all want to get off of this. It's We're coming up on an hour here, but what about having a quorum that needs bonded Adam in order for the vote to pass? So that way validators essentially have veto rights over proposals by not voting. 
So you mean like there has to be a certain number of like bonded. normal bonded atom? Is that yeah? Okay, that's interesting. So there's or like what if you had the liquid staking tokens kind of like vote as a unit, right? Because depending on the proposal, like they might all have their like them as a group has different interests per se than like uh, the val like the hard bonded atom uh, as a group would have. Uh, so it could be interesting to like. I don't know, maybe like group them as one vote somehow. I don't know how that would work but theoretically, but it would be interesting to see the, either of those models. Well, that's for another day. Yeah, it feels like we need to, we could probably do a whole podcast on like that type of topic or Cosmos governance, governance as, a, as, a, as a whole. Maybe we get Sam, Sam Hart back on and it's been a while. I think he was on one of our very, very first episodes of Zero X Research. So he's definitely due back for a, a second appearance. Probably a great, uh, great place to wrap it up, though. Everyone, thanks a ton for for listening this week. And uh, as a reminder, we switched up the the framework here, so we're gonna have two episodes per week. The first one will be the analyst episode. The second one will be the interview. Uh, this week is with the ENS founder Nick Johnston. So be on the lookout for that one to drop the day after this episode. And thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Cheers.